Hey, if you're new with us, we have come to, I hope, is kind of the beginning of a week that physically there's an end to where we've had our move week, where we have been walking through since last Sunday night various types and various uh, areas and habits in our faith that we've been trying to move us towards growth in. We started that week by looking at uh, how are we investing in, how are we sharing our faith? And Alvin Reed spoke on Sunday night, and if you've ever heard somebody talk, talk fast, twice as fast as me, it's that guy, all right? Uh, just incredibly uh, resource, incredible resource, lots of information for us um, last Sunday night. And I love this statement that he, that he made when it came to, ha- do we have a boldness when it comes to sharing the story of Jesus Christ with others? He said this, people aren't as offended by our message as they are amazed at our silence. People are not as offended by our message where we think, will I offend someone, will I upset someone, as they are amazed that we can have the good news of Jesus Christ and be silent with it. And then he went on to give us a prayer that he leads people to pray when it comes to being bold and being prepared to share the story of Jesus Christ. He says this, Give me an opportunity to share Christ. Give me the wisdom to see it. Give me the courage to take it. Give me the opportunity to share it. Give me the wisdom to see it. Give me the courage to take it. Then on Monday night, we looked at how do we have a quiet time? How do we spend time growing in our faith? How do we open God's word and go to a passage and be able to break that down and apply it to our lives and ask questions of the passage, but then also to ask questions of our own lives? And Adam and Jesse North led us in that discussion, and they led us to these questions. They're in the worship guide this morning. If you got one of those, is there a command to obey? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there an application to make? And did I learn something new about God? I would contend for, for those of you who are struggling to examine God's word, that this is a great tool to start, to begin that time for you as you're opening a passive scripture, not three chapters, but two or three verses and saying, God, is there an application for me to make? Is there a promise for me to claim? Is there a sin for me to avoid. Then on Wednesday, we talked about stewardship. We talked about how do we handle our finances. Um, And Bob James, who is always extremely practical, um, gave us 88 ways to save money. 88 in less than an hour. I mean, he was just speeding through 88 ways. But I think the main thing that he said is true of all the things that we talked about this week, and it is the word discipline. If we can have discipline in our resources, if we can have discipline in our quiet time, discipline in the opportunities to share Jesus, discipline in our prayer, discipline in our worship, uh, then we can experience tremendous spiritual growth. And then Wednesday night, we had Lord's Supper and Communion. Thursday night, Friday night, men's prayer night, women's prayer night. Just an incredible week. Uh, But I think my highlight from the week didn't happen in any of those meetings. I think the highlight for me, I share with some of you, I think the highlight for me came that on Wednesday night, one of our sixth graders is moving. That's a hard time to move. One of our sixth graders is moving, and uh, the sixth grade teachers prayed with this student. And then when the teachers got done praying, uh, this young man was there, and one of our other young men in the church reached over and prayed for him and put his hand on him, and they wept together, and they rejoiced together, and they celebrated together, and they walked through that fellowship, that hanging out, that spending, sharing compassion with each other. And I don't know about you, but again, when I was in sixth grade, 
I was not putting on my hand on some dude getting mushy-feely and, and praying for him. I was like, hey, good, sorry, man, hate to see you go, right? But they were praying together. And here's what I want you to see. You Awana workers and you Sunday morning workers, preschool workers, student workers, understand that if we as the church want to take the message of Jesus Christ and impact the tragedies of this world, it's going to happen when men and women pour their lives into two-year-olds, three-year-olds, fifth graders, sixth graders, and teach them how to pray for each other, how to discipline them, how to guide them towards the principles of God's Word, how to teach them to memorize God's Word, and then how to live it out. You guys have an incredible opportunity to do that here on Sundays and Wednesdays and and really every day that you pour into the lives of our children. You are pouring into them a way for our communities to be changed through these young people that are growing out of this place. Because when you go back and you research the early church 2,000 years ago, they were radical. They didn't fit the mold of anybody and they went into situations that people that would have been considered outcast by other people They took in people that were widowed, people that had physical issues. They brought them in and loved on them. And the Roman world began to take notice. What is going on with these people? They care for, they envelop those that are around them with compassion and with love. And so I just just love that picture um, of our move week. I love that as we're teaching adults and as we're walking through that, there are children that are getting it. And they are putting that into practice on a Wednesday night with one of their friends. It's a beautiful picture of the church. We, we're talking this morning about how, as we move and abide in Christ, how we move into fellowship with each other, how our love for Jesus impacts our love for each other. We looked at this briefly on Wednesday night during our time of communion, John 15. So if you've got your Bibles, if you'll turn to John 15 with me, we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up of where this is coming from. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the Gospels, the story of the life and the account of Jesus. And in and, and here we see that Jesus is approaching his disciples, those that are closest to him, they're on the move. Now, most people like to imagine, we don't know for sure, but most people like to imagine that they're walking through a, a vineyard, walking through some type of garden, which makes for a great movie scene, doesn't it? Because he's about to talk about a vineyard and it would make a great place. We're not totally sure this is where that happened, but in my mind it sure helps me out. That as Jesus was walking along, he used something in his life to physically let them see an illustration. But the other thing is, some of us in this room may not totally grasp this illustration because we don't live in an agricultural society. Most of us in the room don't know how to grow anything, all right? Uh, I mean, maybe a potted plant, but as far as gardens, some of you have got a garden, but as far as growing a vineyard, this is not something we think of, but it was commonplace then. So Jesus is giving an illustration about staying connected to Jesus and continuing to be pruned and shaped in a way that the people that he's walking with, that he'd spent time with, and know this, he'd spent three years with these gentlemen and they have no idea that right around the corner they're no longer going to be able to walk with Jesus. They're no longer going to be able to listen to him teach these type of truths. In fact, they're going to see him crucified and resurrected, and they're going to see him teach one more time, a few more times on the power of the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, and he's going to depart from them. And that's what he's been teaching them in John 14 and John 15 and John 16. But then we have this super practical passage 
but profound, profound verses, John 15, verses 1 through 11. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So very quickly, he lays out the roles in this passage. Jesus is the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser, the caretaker, and we are the branches. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of my word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me pray again. God, help us to see the beauty, the simple yet profound reminder over and over from Jesus here. And God, as I read through this in this service, God, in my mind, I get this glimpse of Jesus talking to people he truly loves. And he just keeps coming back. Abide in me. Abide in me. Remain in me. Draw close to me. Make decisions that align with me. Give up any other desires that do not align with me. Abide with me. Dwell. Let me dwell in you through my words, through my commandments. God, help us to see this as truly an intimate calling of Jesus to us, personal, to grow closer to him. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a parent and you tell your children something once, you hope it gets done, right? If you tell them twice, you're kind of getting tired. You tell them three times, your head's about to spin around. If you tell them ten times, I don't know what happens, right? It just gets ugly. In 250 words, a large portion of those words are the phrase, abide in me. And I don't hear these words coming from an angry Jesus, a mad parent. In fact, I hear them coming from somebody talking to a group of men that he loves. And he's saying, guys, abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in the vine, that's me. Abide in me. 
Abide in my words and they'll abide in you. Abide in my love three times. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. So we need to understand this word abide. Abide, by definition, says to to reside or to remain, to stay or to wait. But this Wednesday night, we we popped through this passage extremely quickly um, with our Wednesday night crew for our time of Lord's Supper. And one of the people in the room, one of our church members, gave, I, I think, incredible definition. So I called her on Thursday. I said, can you please give me that definition again? She said, yeah. She said this. Abide to means to remain intensely in decision and desire. Now, let me explain that and why I think that is an incredible definition for us to function with as we read this passage, as you're reminded from this passage. If you've grown up in church, you've heard abide in me. You've heard dwell in me, remain in me. And she said, remain intensely in decision and desire. Marriage is a great example of abiding with both of those facets of decision and desire. Here's how. Uh, Emily and I got married July 16th, 1994. uh, And every day of that 20, almost four years, she has loved me with desire, right? Probably not. There's been a lot of days she's loved me through decision. She's gone, you know what? You're flawed. You're going to mess up and you're going to say something you shouldn't or do something you shouldn't. I'm going to make the decision to remain in you and us and each other. And then there's going to be those few days where I get it right. And she desires to abide. But it's a both. It's not an either or. It's not looking at me and going, man, since I don't desire to abide in you anymore, then I'm out. No, it's both and to remain intensely through my decisions and through my desires. And I love if we apply that through this passage that Jesus is saying, with your decisions and your desires, spend time with me. With your decisions and your desires, draw close to me. With your decisions and your desires, love me. With your relationships, love me with your decision and your desires. Abide in me and I in you. But there's another thought here that's directly related, and it's fruit. The vine dresser God, the vine Jesus, the branches us, the fruit. And fruit is emphasized often here, six times, abide, abide, fruit, abide, abide, fruit, abide, abide, fruit, fruit, abide, fruit. I think I got it right, all right? That's how it goes. And what we, what we need to see is that what I abide in is going to move me in a distinct direction and is going to begin to produce a specific fruit in my life. It's unavoidable. You can't deny it. The things and the places and the people that I spend my time with, whomever and whatever I abide in with my decisions and my desires will begin to produce the fruit in my life. The Olympics are on. How many of you are big Olympic watchers? Anybody? And you're awake. You came to the 1115 service because you stayed up late watching whatever, curling, all right? You could not, you were riveted by the curling, all right? Um, we've never heard of curling except for once every four years and we get excited about it, all right? And, and here's the thing. If I were to the last two weeks spend every evening watching the Olympics, watching the replays, watching all the warm, fuzzy stories, right, that make you want to watch, how this person came out of this and came to this. Here's what's happening. I would walk around the office and I would sit around at lunch and you know what I would talk about? The Olympics. 
Because it's what I'm putting into. It's an overly simplistic example, but it is true. If I spend time digging into the history of, telling you the history of the Olympics, learning all that NBC can pour into me, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start spouting off facts, and trivia, knowledge, because whatever and whomever I abide in begins to produce the fruit in my life. You cannot deny that truth. And that's not for me. That's right here from Jesus himself. So if my fruit, if you want to know, well, I'm not sure who I'm abiding in. I'm going to tell you, kind of do this backwards this morning. If you're not sure who or what you're abiding in, just go to the fruit of your life. If you would say, or your spouse would say, or a friend would say of you, you may not want to ask this. It's a loaded question. What's the fruit in my life? If they were to say anger, jealousy, if they were to look at you and say impatience, then I would back up and say, okay, what am I abiding in that that is the fruit? Is it a relationship? Is it an activity? Is it a lack of time with the Lord that is producing anger, lust, and an inappropriate relationship that you're keeping from your spouse or somebody that you care about? You got it tucked away, and that's the fruit. Then what you've got to do is you've got to back up and say, What am I abiding in? It's not Jesus. It's too much time online. It's too much time outside relationships emotionally. I'm investing in spending too much time away. There's fruit, and it's attached to something we're abiding in. Gossip. You say, man, I, you know, that, that's, that's my struggle. That's, that's where I fall often. Then back up and say, okay, where am I getting my information? Is it true? Should it should be shared? Am I growing in my relationship with Christ? Let's, let's look at the positive. Let's use that example I used uh, of sixth grade young men this past Wednesday night. The fruit was young men praying and laying hands and showing Love, grace, peace, patience, mercy to their friend. The fruit came because they're memorizing God's word. They're being mentored by men and women who care for them and desire for them to grow in their faith. And they're given the op- opportunity to exercise their faith. It's fruit. We could take a lot of negative, a lot of positive examples, but I'm just asking you, as, as we go through this sermon and as we leave this room this morning, we can talk a lot about abiding, we can talk a lot about making this uh, our decisions and our desires, but if you really need a test, ask, what fruit am I producing? Then back up and say, now what am I abiding in? I think sometimes it's easier to find the fruit than it is to figure out what we're abiding in, or at least to be honest about it. Abide here. This word to remain, John Piper says this, when the word abides in us, it finds a place, it finds a home. It's not foreign, it belongs. You move other things around and you even get rid of some things so that the word has room and it feels at home. This is not a a, a camp high, right? This is a Every day, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit convict me, and this is what he's been teaching on in John chapter 14 and will through 15 and 16 to his disciples. There's going to come a time where Jesus is not walking in them, and he says, listen, there's going to become one that is greater than I. 
that is going to bring conviction and weight and rejoicing that's going to live inside of you through its power. But it's going to rearrange your life. It's going to make some changes. It's going to move in. Whatever and whomever I abide in begins to produce the fruit in my life. And then he says in verse 2, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he what? Prunes. I've shared with you guys before, uh, Emily and I have a fantastic marriage, but pruning trees is probably one of the more contentious areas of life, all right? Not bad, just uh, I have a different view. Give me clippers, take it to the ground. Right, gentlemen? Anybody feeling me? All right. Give me something power tool, and I'm taking down everything. Anything and everything in view, I'm just going to take it down. I got the afternoon, all right? The fruit is I'm going to chop everything down for the rest of the afternoon. And that's my idea of pruning. And so I've had to learn over the years that there's an art to this stuff. That you can actually prune plants. I learned this from my mother-in-law's roses. That you can prune roses. Now, Now, I know some of you are very green thumbish, and so I'm insulting you right now, but the rest of us, we're not, all right? That she's got these rose bushes, and they're growing, and they're green, and there's roses everywhere, and she'll go, well, go down below those two blooms and just clip that off. Make sure you do it at this angle, really, this angle, and at this time, underneath that branch, and I'm going, well, there's two flowers on it. Why do I want to get rid of the two flowers? Three days later, I'm out weed eating. I look up, and there's five, Because that branch was already showing that it had the nutrients and it had what it needed to blossom and do even more than it was already doing. But somebody had to come along and go, you know what, this is pretty. Those two blooms are pretty, but five sure would be prettier. Somebody's going to have to take care. Somebody's going to have to clip that off. Somebody's going to know what they're doing. And somebody's going to have to do it because they care about the plant. They care about the branch. When you hear Jesus talk about fruit, understand what he says. It so seems anti what we would think. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? Because there's growth. There's maturity, and his desire is to produce more, not to take it away. Do you know also that you can prune plants and shrubs, and they will grow in a certain direction? I don't know if anybody else is enlightened by that as I am, but you can. And they'll grow, and it's like Edward Scissorhands, right? You can grow, and they'll just start growing one direction. Why? Because you begin to train that plant or that shrub or that tree to say, I want you to go this way. I'll keep trimming you. Get that out of here until you grow this way. Why? Because there's a power line over here. And they're going to come by, and they're going to cut it out, and they're not going to be nice about it. But I'm going to trim you this way. I'm going to guide you this way. Pruning is about protection. It is about producing fruit. Bruce Wilkinson talks about in his book, Secrets of the Vine, about pruning. He moved out to the countryside. He's a pastor. He moved out to the countryside, and as he got to the countryside, he had this fence along his property line, and they they were so excited because there was a grapevine growing along the fence, and they were excited about having grapes um, during their season. And so one day he looks out the window, and there's a gentleman out, his next-door neighbor, and he's got... Um, he's got clippers, and he is just going to town, trimming back all the branches. And so he's thinking, how do I broach this conversation with my neighbor? I mean, this is new. It's 
bad moment, right? So he walks out and he just says, kind of diplomatically, so you don't like grapes, I guess. The gentleman keeps on clipping for a minute and he finally says, love grapes. Keeps on clipping. So finally, the clipper realizes that the city boy has no idea what he's doing and why he's doing it. And he says, listen, son, we can either grow ourselves a lot of beautiful leaves that fill up this whole fence line, or we can have the biggest, juiciest, sweetest grapes you and your family have ever had, but we cannot have both. Something's got to go. Because those extraneous little leaves were doing what? Pulling the nutrients out of the correct place. And he's saying, let's aim it in the right direction. Let's place that in the right direction for us. And Jesus tells his disciples lovingly, I hear so much love from this passage of Scripture. Guys, if you're bearing fruit, I'm going to have to trim you back so that you can bear more fruit. That I also can protect you. Several years ago, we had one of our numerous ice storms that we get around here occasionally. Uh, five or six years ago, I think. And I remember it was just, you know, driving around. Looks like another world, you know, all the ice. And uh, how many of you had, past tense, Bradford pears? Anybody had Bradford pears? How many no longer have Bradford pears, right? You know what happens is... Bradford pears, two, two problems with Bradford pears. One, they're not indigenous to this area, so we brought them in and thought, oh, they look pretty. Second, we think they look great when they're all big in your yard, except when ice comes. And here's what happens to Bradford pears. They don't break a little branch off. Some of them split right down the middle, don't they? The weight just becomes too heavy, and it splits them right down the middle. And here, I believe, we see that, that bearing fruit, at times we need to be pruned to train us the right direction, and at times he needs to prune us for protection from ourselves of pride, of anger, of impatience, and say, listen, you're, you're growing. But if I don't prune this away, if I don't take this behavior that might be okay, it's not even sinful, but it's a distraction. If I take this out of your life, I'm really protecting you. But here's the reality. We want fruit without the pruning. We want the abide in my love without the correction. But it's a both and, and I hear the compassion of Jesus over and over. Abide in me. Because I'm pruning you. God is shaping you for his purpose. He's not out to get you. He's not out to bring opposition, but he's honing you. He's shaping you. He's preparing you. So he comes and he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and abide in His love. One thing I want to make sure we realize this morning, the goal of John chapter 15, 1 through 11 is not fruit production, it is Jesus loving. Make sure you see that. It is abiding in Him prevails over fruit in this discussion. And we are really good in our culture, in their church culture, the more things we attend or the more check marks we get of attendance or activity in church, then we go, well, I got a bunch of fruit. Jesus isn't begging you to produce fruit. He's acknowledging that if you abide in him, he produces the fruit. So at times we can step away from the abiding, the remaining in with our direction and our desires and try to go out and produce the fruit on our own and we can do some of that 
But at times he prunes and says, listen, I, I got other plans. I desire to use you in a different direction. What's taking place in your life? I abide in my love, abide in my love, abide in my love. Why? These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He goes on, and we won't have much time for this. It's not on the screens this morning. Verse 12 and 13, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than no one has than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I want you to see how the vertical impacts the horizontal, how the relationship abiding, abiding in Jesus, abiding in his command, abiding in his word, and his word abiding in us, that it begins to now impact the daily relationships we have with other people. It doesn't just stay in that relationship. It begins to produce fruit. So let's come back to, the, to this idea of producing fruit, this idea of abiding. Let me ask you to be honest this morning. I am abiding in blank, and it is producing blank fruit. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today. This is overly simplistic uh, for some. For some, it's maybe greatly challenging. But I do believe it's directly coming from this, and it's an opportunity for us at the end of this move week for us to just stop and say, okay, if I'm moving forward spiritually, then this is what I'm abiding in, and this is what it's producing. So I want to challenge you, even if you didn't attend anything this week and have not had that opportunity, I just want to challenge you to look at this statement, fill in the blanks, and say, I am abiding in, and it is producing blank fruit. You back it up if you need to. I am producing broken relationship after broken relationship. I am abiding in grief and pain that I haven't yet walked through. I am producing children that know God's word and are desiring to know him. I am abiding in Jesus and teaching it to my children. Take an opportunity this morning. Take an opportunity as we come to the conclusion of this week and just say, I am abiding in and it is producing this fruit. I know I do these often to you and I leave these blanks up here. And my guess is most of you leave here and go, I don't know what he was talking about, all right? He, he gave us some kind of challenge. But if you will answer this honestly, I believe you can come back to John chapter 15, verse 1 through 11, and you can ask those five questions. What application? What promise? What sin? What do I learn about God? And you can apply that to your life, and you can begin to experience more than you've ever experienced just through those passages. If you'll honestly say, I am abiding in past hurt. I'm abiding in a relationship that's ungodly. I'm abiding in a habit that's sucking 40% of my time, and it is producing something other than what's pleasing to Jesus. I, I'm, I'm abiding in Jesus, and it is producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm abiding in, and it is producing what fruit? Let's pray this morning.